But if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. We're going to be in, and I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. But you want to put a uh, bookmark there or your, your tab there or, or something. Just keep your finger there. Uh, Genesis 2, uh, verse 18. And if you're reading through with your devotions with us, you've already read that at the beginning of the year. And it's interesting that uh, we're in this beginning season of the new year and already talking about relationships. Last year at our vision night, uh, that's what we talked about, that the vision for this year is all about relationships and that God wants us to connect with one another. He wants us to reach out to people. And as Bunny was saying, uh, the vision, the overall vision of our church is to reach the lost one relationship at a time. Uh, Some people do that. Uh, Some people have a hard time with it. Uh, Some people have an easy time of inviting people to church. They, They just have that Uh, boldness about them and they'll say hey come to my church it's that easy for some of us it's a little more difficult or for some of you you have a hard time because uh maybe if you invite someone to church they're going to ask you you go to church oh yeah and you act like that so we all fall into different categories but that's the reason why we come to church because we all need jesus we don't come to church because we're perfect If we came to church because we were perfect, then we wouldn't have church because there's no perfect churches because there's no perfect people. So because we're all messed up, might as well go find more messed up people and bring them to the perfect God. I figure that's the best solution. So that's the synopsis of tonight. We're all messed up. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember um, pen pals. Any of you guys remember pen pals? Come on, let's show our age. Let's go. Okay, pen pals. (laughs) I see you guys. Yes. So pen pals is basically you write a letter to a pal who lives far away from you or or somewhere else in the world. And then you write back and forth and it would be days, sometimes weeks, before you get another letter back. And so that was how you connected with them. It was through a pen pal. And I, I, I even forget how we even connected, but maybe you guys can tell me after on how pen pals got connected because I never had a pen pal. I just never had. Don't feel sad for me. I had friends. Not saying you didn't have friends, I'm just saying. I just didn't have a pen pal, okay? But I did have clubs. You know, like uh, you have a clubhouse, you go in the bushes and you make a club, you you still borrow wood from your uncle or your grandpa, and then you make like a clubhouse, and then you have to do like initiation tests. And when you're kids, you don't know what's dangerous. You say, oh, the initiation test is you got to run in the bushes, and if I shoot you with the BB gun, you're not in the gang, you're not in the club. But if I miss, you in. Or if you can dodge the slingshot, you know, marble. And so we'll do things like that. And if you make it, then you on in the club. If you get hit, you got to wait a day or two. So that was the, uh, sorry, that was the guys. I don't know what the girls did. Actually, anyway, so if you had a club, that's what you did. You would have some kind of membership initiation or if they were just your friends, you're in their club. And then they, they had this thing as we were growing up called gangs. And then where we grew up, and you might have heard about this, remember the the blue rags and the red rags, the Crips and the Bloods? Yeah, and that was a big thing, especially when it got really bad. And they had a movie about it, and and so it was all about gangs. But you had the real gang, gang kind of guys, you know, the real rugged gangster kind of guys. And and then you had the kind like us would buy the handkerchief just to act like we're in one gang. And you carry one blue and one red just in case wherever you are. You know, if you're in Kalihi on Oahu, then you got to carry a different color rag. And then if you're in Waminala, you got to carry on a different one. So you had that kind of gang where you act like you're a gang member so that you feel like, yeah, I'm somebody. I'm somebody. I'm a part of something. 
And then it slowly evolved to where it was no longer where you had to be in the same physical place with someone. But then this thing called the internet came out and a thing called MySpace was launched. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, but some of us started with MySpace and MySpace just blew up. And a lot of people were getting connected through MySpace and you had these friends and everybody had a friend named Tom. That's who you started off with and that was your friend because he was the creator of it. And then Facebook came out. And Facebook, when it came out, it started off with the college and it was supposed to be just between friends, you know, just between college friends. It actually started with uh, pictures of uh, girls' faces and they would match it up together, see who was better looking. And then it evolved from there and it became where they could share things with one another on campus and then it blew up to be even bigger and then it evolved to the rest of the world. And then another thing came on the scene in 2010 called Instagram. Now, Instagram started with just taking pictures and photographers rating one another and seeing whose pictures was good, and they would give input and say, oh, this, is, this is great, uh, you should you know, do, do better lighting, uh, what kind of camera are you using? And it started off in a small way, but then it began to evolve, and in 2012, Facebook acquired Instagram for $1 billion. In two years, Instagram becomes the fastest growing company in our day today to be sold with stocks and shares and cash for $1 billion in two years. Fastest growing company ever. And I thought, what, are these, what do these companies have in common? What do, what do pen pals and, and uh, clubs and gangs and uh, Facebook, MySpace and Instagram all have in common? They all have to do with relating to one another. That's what they all have to do with. Every one of these subjects has to do with relating to one another. Now, in 2014, our vision is relationships. And we're going to learn why relationships are important to God and how connecting groups help us to accomplish our purpose and why we're going to be doing connecting groups and why it's important to you, for you to be involved in a connecting group. It takes a while for us to catch on what a connecting group is, and, and that's why I want us to talk a little bit about it but give some groundwork on why we built connecting groups. Everyone wants to have great relationships. Everyone wants great relationships. We want our marriages to be great and successful. We want our friendships to be good. We want our families to be strong. Everyone wants successful relationships. The problem, however, is if you want anything to succeed, it requires work and it requires effort. It's just that simple. And everyone wants to do well in relationships. Why is it? that the most successful companies in our day become successful within the shortest amount of time? And why is it that these companies are social media companies? It's because we're built for relationships. It's already embedded in us. We're already created for relationships. So what companies do is, because they know we're created for relationships, their advertisements and the way they do things, their marketing strategy, is all about how to connect with you. That's their whole marketing strategy. How can I relate to them? How can I build a relationship with these people? MTV said it long ago when they started to launch uh, you know, music television and, and these videos. Uh, back then when the owner was thinking of the vision of, of videos and, and music television, 
He said, if I can get your children to love our music, I will control them. That was the basic principle behind the vision of MTV. If I can get your children to love our music, I can control them. And if you think about pop culture, that's exactly what happens. It happens through us seeing visibly what is supposed to be popular, what is the in thing, and then everybody follows suit. Fashion follows suit. Uh, media follows suit. And then our teenagers follow suit, and even young adults follow suit. Why? Because if they can get you to buy in and relate to their vision, then they can control you. They control our spending, they control our time, and they even control our relationships. And so why is it that relationships are, are part of us? Why is it embedded in us? Well, let's look at the scripture we open to in Genesis 2:18, And this is after God created everything, and then he created Adam, the first human being. He created man. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now, I want us to concentrate on that first part where it says, It is not good for the man to be alone. We always hear about, you know, the Bible saying you're never alone because God is with you and that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. And we know that to be true. So if that is to be true, then why is it that God would say to Adam or to say, Adam is not, it's not good for Adam to be alone. If that was the case that that God is always with us, then in reality, Adam really wasn't alone because God was with him. But what God did was he created in man a need for another human being. That's what he did. Yeah, God created man to have a relationship with him, but he also created man to have a relationship with one another so that we could relate to another human being. In fact, when he was looking for a suitable helper, he tried to have other things become his companion or to help him. But he couldn't find a creature suitable for him, so he created Eve. And then we know the story from that point on. Here we have the human race. And of course, Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. And we live in the world we live in as a corruptible world because of the sin nature that has been passed on to us. But what has never changed is our ability to relate to one another. It's already inside of us. And every single person, when we learn about relationships, we, we can add more value to our relationships. We can... We can make these relationships important to us and we can, we can learn how to connect with each other better, especially in the world we live in, by understanding the concept behind the relationships that God set us up with. And he put that inside of our hearts so that we would never feel alone. It's interesting. Even if you're with God and never with people, you're still going to feel alone because God put not just a relationship with him, but a relationship with other people. So we're going to look at three relationships and why we need to improve them. God, everyday people, and the church. These are three areas that we're going to look at tonight. God, everyday people, and the church. And the first relationship we need to improve is our relationship with God. And I think we all can agree with that. I don't think we ever get to a place where we say, my relationship with God is exactly where I want it to be. I don't need to grow anymore, and I'm fine with my relationship with God. I think we all can say, boy, I, I, I could devote more time with God. 
I could pray to God more often. I could, I could worship God with my life better. I think we all can improve in that area. And all of, all of the relationships that we come in contact with, and, it, and of all the relationship that, uh, relationships that we have, the most important one is our relationship with God. That's the most important relationship. And what is interesting is we can say that, but we don't do that. We say, God, you're the most important relationship in my life. But if I were to look at what I do in my life, it almost seems like God gets maybe the beginning of my day and possibly the ending of my day. It's like we bookend our day with God, which is okay, but if we don't even think about God throughout the rest of the day, then what are we saying to God as being the most important relationship in my life? And that's where we got to come back to God being the most important relationship in our life. See, I look at God as, as the natural resource to draw from for thriving relationships. He's, he's, he's the one that will be able to give us what we need so that we could have thriving relationships. He's a natural resource. The Bible says in Luke 12, 21, it says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. The Bible says we're fools if we think that we can have a poor relationship with God and be effective in, any, in every other relationship. And so people would ask me, well, then how do I develop my relationship with God? How do I do that? And because we can't see God, how do we do that? Well, it's just like developing our relationship with any other person, with, with the people you love the most. If you think about God in that way, then you spend time, you talk to one another, you're, you're dedicated to each other. But I think with God, one of the, the best ways is to start with the Word of God. You know, you get into the Word of God, you start with, with reading the Bible, you start with, with connecting with Him through His Word. If not for His Word, we won't get to know God. Because what he, what he already said, he's still saying. What he, what he did thousands of years ago, he's still doing. He's still the same God as we read Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because he's eternal, he never changes. And so getting into the word of God is important. Worship is important. And let me just clarify something. Worship is not only singing songs. Sometimes, and catch my heart on this, sometimes when we worship through song, it hinders our worship to God. Because what song can do is get a hold of our emotion, not our spirit. And so we emotionally get tied up rather than worshiping God regardless of how we feel. Now, worshiping God through song is a part of worshiping Him. He said, sing songs to me. And He's the inventor of songs. He's the inventor of music. So, Worshiping God through music is fine, but worship is really a lifestyle. Did you know that you can worship God while you're washing dishes? You can worship God while you're doing the yard. You can worship God while you're driving. Because isn't it true that that's where we get, have most difficult time is when we're washing dishes and nobody was helping us. I gotta wash dishes. Nobody helping us. I didn't even make this mess. It's not even my dishes. And so we're not really worshiping God. We're washing dishes. Now, you can take it to the extreme and say, honey, why don't you go worship God? Why don't you go worship God? Go clean the yard. Go wash the dishes. But it's, it's you in how you're doing things. Are you worshiping God? Because Colossians 3.23 tells us, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for man. And that's the heart of worship that we have. 
Prayer is another way we develop our relationship with God. We pray to God. Another way is meditation. Prayer, if you look at prayer and meditation, prayer is like you're, you're talking to God. Meditation is God speaking to you. So you can pray and meditate at the same time. Sometimes you just meditate during the day and you're letting God speak to you. You're just letting him speak to you. Or you meditate on a scripture because that's God's voice. He's speaking. But that develops your relationship with God. 2 John 1.9, it says, Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God, but anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. So that's why we gather together. When we learn about God and we teach the Word of God, then we're developing this relationship with God. And then we develop our relationship with Him in a way that's pleasing to Him and according to His Word. That's why church is so valuable and important. But the second relationship we need to improve on is our relationship with everyday people. Just everyday people. And everyday people can include, you know, your, your spouse, your children, your family members, your co-workers. They're just everyday people. It's people you come in contact with every day. And God says that's the relationships we need to improve on because they're closest to us. They're our loved ones, family members. Our children. But it, it also extends greater than your immediate world. You know, the people that are closest to you. It extends far greater than that. And it's by no mistake that God puts in your path every single day people. He puts people in our paths. He, he'll put people in your path when you eat. Uh, there's a waiter or a waitress. There's a host. There's a cashier. There's someone to help you. Or you're in a department store in line. And the person in front of you, they're taking forever and they have coupons, and they have a mistake, and they're writing a check that they made a mistake on, and it's taking forever. And you might be thinking, hurry up, I gotta go. God might have put that person there, and maybe it's taking long because he's waiting for you to connect with them. Maybe God is saying, I want you to just tell that person, hey, how are you doing? How's your family? Happy New Year, anything, just to connect with them. And then if we're not, and we're disobedient, God is saying, okay, gonna have to take longer. I'm going to have to put something in place so that you can connect with them. And then more, we're, we're mad. Oh, maybe God is working on my patience. No, he's working on your evangelism. He's just waiting for you to reach out to someone else. I, I love when we get into an elevator. I've been working on this for a while. When you get on an, an, on an elevator, everyone just walks on. And this is what they do. You press the button, elevator opens. And if there's people in it, you walk in. And then you press your button and then you wait. And the door closes and everybody looks up. Or nowadays, thank God, we have phones, so we just look on our phone. But this is what I do now. I walk in and I target someone. And I think to myself, who am I going to reach out to? And I'll just talk to them. I say, hey, how are you doing? Oh, good, good. And if we're at a hotel, and I'll say, oh, are, you, are you visiting the islands? Yep, where are you from? Oh, Colorado. Hey, how is it in Colorado? Oh, right now it's freezing cold. Hey, lucky you in Hawaii. Yeah? Hey, lucky you live Hawaii. So we'll have that conversation. And it's interesting that by the time that person leaves, they leave different. And you leave different too. I've had conversations where people will ask, so what do you do? And within that short amount of time, you can introduce them to Christ. You may not lead them to the Lord, but you can just let them know, oh, I, I, I'm a pastor, and I pastor a church on the big island. Oh, yeah, what church? And, and you'd be amazed at what God does in those conversations because we've long strayed from personal contact with people. It's like we're afraid to talk to people. So I just make it a point, and I'll look them in the eyes and say, how are you doing? 
And sometimes people won't say anything back. Sometimes they say, oh, good. Or I'll say, hi, hey, uh, so are you from here? Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hurry up, door open. Hurry up. But it's, you just take the risk. But I, I think more, more, time, more often than not, you'll see God do amazing things. So anywhere, even at school, you may be a student and you're attending college or you're in high school or in, in elementary school. And even in school, I can look back and, and I can realize this, that God put you in school so that you can reach out to people that not everyone can reach out to. You're there for a specific reason. You're, you're, God put you in that place for a specific reason. Why? Because he wants you to relate to people. At work, you're at your job because God put you there. I don't like you over there, though. That's why God has you there. Yeah, but it's, so, it's, such a, it's such a junk environment. I don't like the people there. They might be saying the same thing about you. Who knows? I'm not saying they're saying that. They might be. Maybe God has you there in that dark place where there's dark people, where there's dark corners, so that you can shine your light. Because light shines the brightest in the darkest places. And you might just be at where you are so that God can use you in that kind of way. Or here's the best one. And if you're dealing with customers every day and you're just hoping you get, you get the best customers, God might send you the worst customer. He might send you that person that nobody else wants to deal with because he wants you to reach out to them. And maybe you have to take a break from them and say, excuse me, sir, I'll be right back. Go in the storage room. Ah! And then come back out and say, sure, I can help you. No problem. Maybe you got to do that. Maybe you got to do that. Maybe you got to do that with your husband or your wife. Just say, hold on, dear. Go outside, scream, come back in, and you're good to go. Maybe you already do that, but you're in front of them. So that might not work. But just think, maybe God puts those people in your life so that you can shine your light and then draw them closer to Christ. You may not be the person that shows them Christ, but you might be that one click towards Christ. As Colossians tells us, 128, so we tell others, in fact, you know what, let's turn to that scripture, Colossians 128 in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Is that right? Okay. Uh, there are a table of contents, you know, in your Bible. I totally forgot about that one time. There's a table of contents in your Bible, and they tell you the page that the book is in. Just a side tip for those of you non-Bible users. So Colossians 1.28, it says, So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. I read that scripture and I thought, wait a minute, that's, you gave us that responsibility. We tell others about you. We warn everyone and teach everyone with all the wisdom God gave us. Even if you have a little bit of wisdom, he says, well, if that's all the wisdom I gave you, that's what you use. Well, I don't have that much wisdom. I only have like 0.0001% of the Bible. That's 0.0001% of the Bible more than the person who absolutely knows nothing about the Bible. God wants to use whatever he gave to you, whatever wisdom he gave to you, to tell other people and to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. See, we truly find our role in life through our relationships with others. That's how we find our role in life. It's through relating to one another. I think if we look at the people that surround us and the people that are closest to us, 
those are probably the people that will challenge us the most. They're going to challenge us. I, I like how someone said it. They said, work would be easy if it weren't for people. Ministry would be simple if it weren't for people. Life would be a breeze if it weren't for people. And look around you. This room is full of people. So God is not wanting us to go through life with a breeze. He wants us to go through life to present to people who God is so that we can present them in a perfect relationship with Christ. He gave that to us. The third relationship we need to improve is our relationship with the church body, with the, with the, the church believers, the body of Christ. Now, this one will probably be even more challenging than any other because you expect more from one another. How often people would say, but you're supposed to be a Christian. Being a Christian, they'll say that to you. You're supposed to be a Christian. Or, I thought you were a Christian. Well, aren't you a Christian? Yeah, but I thought you were one, and you're doing that. See, that's the most challenging relationships because we expect more from each other. And we should. The Bible says we should. We expect nothing but the best from each other because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. God is our Father. Can you catch that? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. So the people you fight with that are Christians, they're not your enemies. That's your brother and sister in Christ. The people you disagree with that are believers, you're not disagreeing with just some stranger. You're disagreeing with your brother or sister in Christ. And it's okay to disagree. That's fine. But if it rips apart relationship, oh boy, then there needs to be something there that God the Father does so that the relationship can get better because people are watching how the body of Christ operates in order for them to make a decision if they're going to be a part of the body of Christ. And more often than not, in today's world, people don't want to be a part of the body of Christ because they see the body of Christ not in unity together. Not in unity as in being in the same place. That's not unity. Unity is when each person does their individual assignment according to the ways of God. It's like the body. If my hand were to say to my foot, hey, let's be in unity, let's hang out together. That's not unity at all. You're not going to be able to move. Unity is when the hand and the feet go in tandem together doing its individual assignment. Then you can walk. Try this tomorrow or even tonight. Walk with your hands and your legs going together. <laughs> it just, I, I actually tried that. It, it's hard to do. And it's weird to do that. God created the body to work together. To function together. There should be no schism, as the Bible says. There's no, there's no division in it. It should operate flawlessly with all its messes. That's the body of Christ. He said that's the relationship that you need to work on. See, we're all called to believe in God. But it's more than believing in God. It's belonging to the body of Christ. It's not just belief. It's belonging. Ephesians 2.19, it says, You are members of God's very own family citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. See, God did not promise to build the ministries. He didn't promise that. He didn't say, I'm going to build the ministry that you're involved in. I'm going to build the ministry that you like the best. I'm going to build the ministry. He said, I will build my church. 
That's his promise. Matthew 16, 13 through 18, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked, the, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, uh, some say John the Baptist, uh, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Well, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. So there was an identification change. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. See, his promise is that he will build his church, not your church, not my church, not our church, his church. We belong to his church. And although we'll use it in the context of, hey, you got to come to my church, we're actually saying you got to come to Christ's church. you gotta, you got to connect with Jesus. you got to connect with the one who is building his people that the gates of hell will not even conquer it. See, I, I, I had people ask me before, um, what made you stick? What made you stay? Why were you committed here at New Hope Hilo? Why, what made you stay? Because you had opportunities to leave and, and there is some history in, in my life and things that happened in ministry and uh, when I would attend church and before I even uh, came on staff that I had all the reasons to leave church. And the number one reason was because I'm committed. It's just that simple. I, I'm just committed to the body of Christ. This is where God called me to be. And I can tell you this. If I were to leave for the small reasons that I can look back on that was big at that time, I would never have grown in the Lord. I would never have developed my relationship with God in how it is today. Because anyone can quit. Anyone. It doesn't take much effort. But it does take a lot of character and courage to persevere through. And when that happens and you come out of that, then you see what God was doing. He was doing something greater and deeper because he always is. But he uses things and he uses situations to build his church. It's not easy being the church, but it is the greatest joy when you become the church. If you just constantly leave and go from one church to the next and you keep leaving and you, and you never learn anything. If you only come in contact or conflict with someone and then you leave because of conflict and you never resolve it and you go to another church and never resolve that, same thing will happen. There needs to be something that takes place in our lives that we say, Lord, I'm committed to the body of Christ. That's why everyone needs a home church. It's in that church where you're going to find true value in your relationship with God. We're going to be challenged. It's not going to be easy. And especially in 2014, our year of relationships, it's not going to be easy as God builds his church. There's going, to be, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be disagreement. But I tell you, when we persevere through that, it's going to be a wonderful church body because God is building his church. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, Paul the apostle says, I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon. So that if I am delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. 
And Paul is saying, here's how you must conduct yourselves in the house of God. And here's the reason why he said it. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. That's why Paul made that statement so crystal clear. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a profound statement for Paul to say, this is how you must conduct yourself in the house of God. He said, because it's a pillar. It's the pillar of the word and the truth. This is, this is where everything is going to be established from. It's God's church. It's the foundation of the truth. So the question is, how are we going to accomplish this in this church that God is building up? How are we going to improve in our relationships with God and everyday people and the church? That's where connecting groups come in. The whole purpose behind connecting groups is disciples making disciples. If you follow Jesus Christ, you're a disciple of Christ. I know that word can be intimidating because you're saying, I, don't, I'm not, I can't disciple anyone. The disciples were called disciples because they followed Christ. They were only called Christians first in Antioch, if you read the book of Acts, by other people because they followed Christ. That's why they were called Christians. But Jesus called them my disciples because a disciple is a learner. And so if you think about connecting groups, we have four basic connecting groups. One is small groups. One is Bible study groups. One is activity groups. And one is devotional groups. And these four different groups, of course, it's going to, it's going to, uh, it's probably going to, I don't, I don't like to use the word morph, but it's going to evolve. And it's going to branch off because there may be activity groups like a book club that you might want to uh, get people together with. But the whole purpose is that we would have disciples making disciples. And you might be thinking, okay, but why is it important for me to be involved in a connecting group? I already come to church. I'm already involved. I want us to picture this. And just picture a small little campfire. And in Hawaii, we're freezing cold at 70 degrees. <laughs> People in Oregon and, you know, Michigan and the upper states are thinking, what are you, crazy? When you're cold and you sit around a campfire, it feels so good. When you're freezing at home and if you have a heater or a fireplace and you gather on the fireplace, ah, oh, it just warms the soul. You sit down, drink a cup of coffee or tea and it just warms you. And so you, you grab a, a little rock or a log and, and you just take a seat there and you just warm your hands on the fire. And then maybe you and your friend is sitting there and you're both warming your hands and, and you just, you love it. And then more people come in and then they join and they sit down and you have more people and they're all sitting around the campfire. Every single person warm and they feel connected because they're on the campfire. You talk story, you share life, you laugh. Sometimes you'll cry. But then there's this new person who's outside in the cold and they're freezing. But then they see the campfire and they're saying, oh boy, I wish I could be a part of that campfire. And then they come here and they say, hey, can I be a part of this campfire? But 
but we try to fit them in, but maybe, maybe if they sit here, then maybe they can warm themselves. But because we're so busy with us, they never get to warm themselves. And they want to, but there's no more room. And so what they do is they go look for another campfire. And the campfire, which is a counterfeit fire, is the fire of the world. They'll even write songs that the world is on fire. And so what this person does is say, well, you know, I, I got to find warmth. And so they'll find warmth in the world. But we're here and we're happy with our campfire. Here's what connecting groups do. Connecting groups say, I'm done with the old. I'm going to make my own campfire. And it's okay with these guys that they have their campfire. And those are your friends. They're your family. They'll always be your friends. They'll always be your family. But you tell them, you know what? Because of this one person, God gave me enough wisdom. And he's the fire. That now I can have enough room for this person to sit and enjoy the fire of God. And I'll go invite someone else and they'll sit around this campfire. And then this person will disciple this person and teach them how to make another campfire. And that person will say, wait, what did, what did they teach me? They taught me the word of God. Now what do I have to do? I just gotta love God and love people. Okay, I can do that. They'll see someone else out there and they'll say, hey, why don't you come to my campfire? I'm gonna show you what it's like to feel the love of God and his warmth. This person will get a friend and then, and then this person will teach this person how to make another campfire. And what actually happens is after a while, it really doesn't matter how dark the world becomes. What matters is how much light is being shown throughout the world. And you may feel like, but I, I, can't, I, I, don't, I don't have what it takes to build a campfire. You're already doing that. You're already doing things that shine the love of God. You may not be a person who can do a small group. Maybe you can't open your home right now, but you can do an activity group. It's what you already do. Maybe you go to the movies, invite someone. Maybe you, maybe you go to the beach, invite someone. It's, it's one relationship at a time. That's the challenge. And I tell you what's, what's great about this concept. And it's not a new concept. This is what Jesus was doing all along. Because in the end, we have the biggest bonfire in heaven. We'll stand before the king of kings. And these guys will be there. And these guys will be there. All because this guy said, you know what, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to invest in this guy so we can do this so that the whole world 
won't catch fire for eternity, but will be with God forever in heaven before his throne, and everyone will be warmed by the love of God because you and I did small things like this. Simple. I pray that God would speak to your heart. January 25th, we have our connecting group conference. I would say be there so you can learn how to build a campfire. Amen. You bow your heads with me. We're going to pray. Lord, our heart is to draw people closer to you, to partner with you in your attempts to reach people. I know how it feels, Lord, when we're challenged with things like this. There's so many things that come in our minds that say it's not possible. But Lord, instead of us looking at what we're not able to do, let's look at what you're already doing. And so, Lord, help us to figure out ways to be a part of a small group or an activity group, a Bible study or a devotional group. It's, it's all of us put together that will reach people for you. Someone did that for us, and we may not have known it back then, but we realize it now that someone invited us to their campfire. Now it's our turn, Lord, to build a campfire. And even if one person comes around, that's one person that would have never known you. But if we can all make campfires, Lord, then we will see the city of Hilo reached for you. And when we stand before your throne, we can all glorify you, not because of what we did, but because of what you have done. Set our hearts on fire, Lord, so we can set the world on fire. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen.